the acceptable sacrifice or the excellency of a broken heart. Fourth use, if a broken heart and a contrite spirit be of such esteem with God, then this should encourage them that have it to come to God with it. I know the great encouragement for men to come to God is, for that there is a mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. This, I say, is the great encouragement, and in its place there is none but that. But there are other encouragements subordinate to that, and a broken and a contrite spirit is one of them. This is evident from several places of Scripture. Wherefore, thou that canst carry a broken heart and a sorrowful spirit with thee, when thou goest to God, tell him thy heart is wounded within thee, that thou hast sorrow in thy heart, and art sorry for thy sins but take heed of lying. Footnote. This is faithful dealing. Take heed of lying in approaching the heart-searching God who knows our most secret thoughts, whether it be in public worship, at the family altar, or in private communion with heaven. Beware of uttering words of solemn import unless they come from the heart. Editor George Offer Confess also thy sins unto him, and tell him they are continually before thee. David made an argument of these things when he went to God by prayer. O Lord, saith he, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. But why so? Oh, says he, thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sins. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore. And so he goes on. Psalms 38, verses 1 
through 4, and so forth. These are the words, sighs, complaints, prayers, and arguments of a broken heart to God for mercy. And so are they. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Psalms 51 Verse 1 through 3. God alloweth poor creatures that can, without lying thus to plead and argue with him. I am poor and sorrowful, said the good man to him. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. Psalms 69, verse 29. Wherefore, thou that hast a broken heart, take courage. God bids thee take courage. Say therefore to thy soul, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? As usually the brokenhearted are. And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. I had fainted if I had not been of good courage. Therefore be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Psalms 42, verse 11, Psalms 43, verse 5, and Psalms 27, verse 12 through 14. But alas, the brokenhearted are far off from this. They faint. They reckon themselves among the dead. They think God will remember them no more. The thought of the greatness of God and His holiness and their own sins and vileness says, will certainly consume them. They feel guilt and anguish of soul. They go mourning all the day long. Their mouth is full of gravel and gall, and they are made to drink draughts of wormwood and gall so that he must be an artist indeed at believing who can come to God under his guilt and horror and pleading faith that the sacrifices of God are a broken heart such as he had and that a broken and contrite spirit God will not despise. Fifth use. If a broken heart if a broken and contrite spirit is of such esteem with God, then why should some be as they are so afraid of a broken heart and so shy of a contrite spirit? I have observed that some men are as afraid of a broken heart or that they for their sins should have their hearts broken as a dog is of the whip. Oh, they cannot away with such books, with such sermons, with such preachers, or with such talk as tends to make a man sensible of, and to break his heart, and to make him contrite for his sins. 
Hence they heap to themselves such teachers, get such books, love such company, and delight in such discourse as rather tends to harden than soften, to make desperate in than sorrowful for their sin. They say to such sermons, books, and preachers, as Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Amos seven, twelve. 13. But do these people know what they do? Yes, think they, for such preachers, such books, such discourses tend to make one melancholy or mad. They make us that we cannot take pleasure in ourselves, in our concerns, in our lives. But, old fool in grain, let me speak unto thee, footnote. In grain is a term used in dying, when the raw material is dyed before being spun or wove. The color thus takes every grain and becomes indelible. So with sin and folly it enters every grain of human nature. Editor George Offer, is it a time to take pleasure and to recreate thyself in anything before thou hast mourned and been sorry for thy sins? That mirth that is before repentance for sin will certainly end in heaviness. Wherefore, the wise man putting both together saith that mourning must be first. There is a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. What an unconverted man, and laugh! Shouldest thou see one singing merry songs that is riding up Holborn to Tyburn to be hanged for felony? Wouldst thou not count him beside himself, if not worse? And yet thus it is with him that is for mirth, while he standeth condemned by the book of God for his trespasses. Footnote. These frightful exhibitions by drawing a criminal from Newgate to Tyburn to be executed were of common occurrence until the reign of George the Third, when such numbers were put to death that it was found handier for the wholesale butchery to take place at Newgate by a new drop, where twenty or thirty could be hung at once. When will such brutalizing exhibitions cease? Editor George Offer. Man, man thou hast cause to mourn. Yea, thou must mourn, if ever thou art saved. Wherefore, my advice is, that instead of shunning, thou covet both such books, such preachers, and such discourses, 
as have a tendency to make a man sensible of and to break his heart for sin. And the reason is because thou wilt never be as thou shouldest concerned about nor seek the salvation of thine own soul before thou hast a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit. Wherefore be not afraid of a broken heart, be not shy of a contrite spirit. It is one of the greatest mercies that God bestows upon a man or a woman. The heart rightly broken at the sense of and made truly contract for transgression is a certain forerunner of salvation. This is evident from those six demonstrations which were laid down to prove the point in hand at first. And for thy awakening in this matter, let me tell thee, and thou wilt find it so, thou must have thy heart broken, whether thou wilt or no. God is resolved to break all hearts for sin sometime or other. Can it be imagined, sin being what it is, and God what he is, to wit, a revenger of disobedience, but that one time or other man must smart for sin. Smart, I say, either to repentance or to condemnation. He that mourns not now while the door of mercy is open must mourn for sin when the door of mercy is shut. Shall men despise God, break his law, contemn his threats, abuse his grace, yea, shut their eyes when he says, See, and stop their ears when he says, Hear, and shall they so escape? No, no, because he called, and they refused. He stretched out his hand, and they regarded it not. Therefore shall calamity come upon them as upon one in travail, and they shall cry in their destruction, and then God will laugh at their destruction and mock when their fear cometh. Then saith he, they shall cry. Proverbs 1, 24 through 26. I have often observed that this threatening is repeated at least seven times in the New Testament, saying, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, verse 12. Matthew 13, verse 42 and 50. Matthew 22, 13. Matthew 24, verse 51. Matthew 25, 30. Luke 13, 28. There, where? In hell and at the bar of Christ's tribunal, when he comes to judge the world, and shall have shut to the door to keep them out of glory, that have here despised the offer of his grace, and overlooked the day of his patience. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. They shall weep and wail for this. There are but two scriptures, that I shall use more, then I shall draw towards a conclusion. One is that in Proverbs 
where Solomon is counseling of young men to beware of strange, that is, of wanton, light, and ensnaring women. Take heed of such, said he, lest thou mourn at the last, that is, in hell when thou art dead, for thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ears to them that instructed me. Proverbs 5:11-13. The other scripture is that in Isaiah, where he says, Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servant shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. Isaiah 65, 13, and 14. How many beholds are here? And every behold is not only a call to careless ones to consider, but as a declaration from heaven that thus at last it shall be with all impenitent sinners. That is, when others sing for joy in the kingdom of heaven, they, they shall sorrow in hell and howl for vexation of spirit there. Wherefore, let me advise that you be not afraid of, but that you rather covet a broken heart and prize a contrite spirit. I say, covet it now. Now the white flag is hung out. Now the golden scepter of grace is held forth to you. Better mourn now. God inclines to mercy and pardon than mourn when the door is quite shut up. And take notice that this is not the first time that I have given you this advice. Use sixth, lastly, if a broken heart be a thing of so great esteem with God as has been said, and if duties cannot be rightly performed by a heart that has not been broken, then this shows the vanity of those people's minds, and also the invalidity of their pretended divine services, who worship God with a heart that was never broken, and without a contrite spirit. There has indeed at all times been great flocks of such professors in the world in every age, but to little purpose unless to deceive themselves, to mock God, and lay stumbling blocks in the way of others. For a man whose heart was never truly broken, and whose spirit was never contrite, cannot profess Christ in earnest, 
cannot love his own soul in earnest. I mean he cannot do these things in truth and seek his own good the right way, for he wants a bottom for it, to wit, a broken heart for sin and a contrite spirit. That which makes a man a hearty and unfeigned, a sincere seeker after the good of his own soul is sense of sin and a godly fear of being overtaken with the danger which it brings a man into. This makes him contrite or repentant and puts him upon seeking of Christ the Savior with heart-aching and heart-breaking consideration. But this cannot be where this sense, this godly fear, and this holy contrition is wanting. Profess, men may, and make a noise as the empty barrel make it the biggest sound, but prove them, and they are full of air, full of emptiness, and that is all. Nor are such professors tender of God's name, nor of the credit of that gospel which they profess. Nor can they, for they want that which should oblige them thereunto, which is a sense of pardon and forgiveness by the which their broken hearts have been replenished, succored, and made to hope in God. Paul said the love of Christ constrained him. But what was Paul but a broken-hearted and a contrite sinner? Acts 9, verse 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. When God shows a man the sin he has committed, the hell he has deserved, the heaven he has lost, and yet that Christ and grace and pardon may be had, this will make him serious. This will make him melt. This will break his heart. This will show him that there is more than air, than a noise, than an empty sound in religion. And this is the man whose heart, whose life, whose conversation, and all will be engaged in the matters of the eternal salvation of his precious and immortal soul. Eight objections answered. Objection first. But some may object that in this saying I seem too rigid and censorious, and will, if I moderate not these lines, with something milder afterward, discourage many an honest soul. Answer, I answer, not a jot, not an honest soul in all the world will be offended at my words, for not one can be an honest soul, I mean with reference to its concerns in another world that has not had a broken heart, that never had a contrite spirit. This I will say, because I would be understood aright, that all attain not to the same degree of trouble, nor lie so long thereunder, as some of their brethren do. But to go to heaven without a broken heart, or to be forgiven sin without a contrite spirit, is no article of my belief. We speak not now of what is secret, 
revealed things belong to us and our children, nor must we venture to go further in our faith. Doth not Christ say, The whole have no need of a physician? That is, they see no need, but Christ will make them see their need before he ministers his sovereign grace unto them. And good reason. Otherwise, he will have but little thanks for his kindness. Objection second. But there are those that are godly educated from their childhood, and so drink in the principles of Christianity. They know not how. Answer. I count it one thing to receive the faith of Christ from men only, and another to receive it from God by the means. If thou art taught by an angel, yet if not taught of God, thou wilt never come to Christ. I do not say thou wilt never profess him, but if God speaks, and thou shalt hear and understand him, that voice will make such work within thee as was never made before. The voice of God is a voice by itself, and is so distinguished by them that are taught thereby. John 6, 44, 45, Psalms 29, Habakkuk 3, 12 through 16, Ephesians 4, 20, 21, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Objection third. But some men are not so debauched and profane as some, and so need not to be so hammered and fired as others, so broken and wounded as others. Answer, God knows best what we need. Paul was as righteous before conversion as any that can pretend to civility now, I suppose, and yet that, notwithstanding, he was made to shake and was astonished at himself at his conversion. And truly, I think the more righteous any is in his own eyes before conversion, the more need he has of heartbreaking work in order to his salvation, because a man is not by nature so easily convinced that his righteousness is to God abominable as he is that his debauchery and profaneness is. A man's goodness is that which blinds him most, is dearest to him, and hardly parted with, and therefore... When such an one is converted, that thinks he has goodness of his own enough to commend him in whole or in part to God, but but few such are converted. There is required a great deal of breaking work upon his heart to make him come to Paul's conclusion. What are we better than they? No, in no wise. Romans 3, verse 9. I say, before he can be brought to see his glorious robes are filthy rags, and his gainful things but loss and dung. Isaiah 64, Philippians 3. This is also gathered from these words. Publicans and harlots 
entering through the kingdom of God before the Pharisees. Matthew 21, verse 31. Why before them? But because they lie fair for the word, are easier convinced of their need of Christ, and so are brought home to him without, as I may say, all that I do that the Holy Ghost doth make to bring home one of these to him. True, nothing is hard or difficult to God, but I speak after the manner of men, and let who will take to task a man debauched in this life, and one that is not so, and he shall see if he laboreth to convince them both that they are in a state of condemnation by nature, that the Pharisee will make his appeals to God with a great many, God, I thank these, while the publican hangs his head, shakes at heart, and smites upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18 11 through 13. Wherefore, a self-righteous man is but a painted Satan, or a devil in fine clothes. But thinks he so of himself? No. No, he saith to others, stand back. Come not near me. I am holier than thou. It is almost impossible that a self-righteous man should be saved. But he that can drive a camel through the eye of a needle can cause that even such a one shall see his lost condition, and that he needeth the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. He can make him see, I say, that his own goodness did stand more in his way to the kingdom of heaven than he was aware of, and can make him feel too that his leaning to that is as great iniquity as any immorality that men commit. The sum then is that men that are converted to God by Christ through the Word and Spirit, for all this must go to effectual conversion, must have their hearts broken and spirits made contrite. I say it must be so, for the reason showed before. Yea, in all decay, the apostatized and backslidden Christians must, in order to their recovery again to God, have their hearts broken, their souls wounded, their spirits made contrite and sorry for their sin. Come, come, conversion to God is not so easy and so smooth a thing as some would have men believe it is. Why is man's heart compared to fallow ground, God's word to a plow, and his ministers to plowmen, if the heart indeed has no need of breaking in order to the receiving of the seed of God unto eternal life? Jeremiah 4.3, Luke 9.62, 1 Corinthians 9.10. Who knows not that a fallow ground must be plowed, and plowed too, before the husbandman will venture his seed. Yea, and after that oft soundly harrowed, or else he will have but a slender harvest. Why 
is the conversion of the soul compared to the grafting of a tree, if that be done without cutting. The word is the graft, the soul is the tree, and the word as a scion must be let in by a wound, for to stick on the outside or to be tied on with a string will do no good here. Heart must be set to heart and back to back or your pretended ingrafting will come to nothing. Romans 11, 17, 24, James 1, verse 21. I say heart must be set to heart and back to back or the sap will not be conveyed from the root to the branch. And I say, this must be done by a wound. The Lord opened the heart of Lydia, as a man openeth the stock to graft in the science. And so the word was let into her soul, and so the word and her heart cemented and became one. Acts 16, verse 14. Why is Christ bid to gird his sword upon his thigh? And why? Must he make his arrows sharp, and all, that the heart may with his sword and these arrows be shot, wounded, and made to bleed? Yea, why is he commanded to let it be so? If the people would bow and fall kindly under him, and heartily implore his grace without it. Psalms 45 Psalms 55, verse 3 and 4. Alas, men are too lofty, too proud, too wild, too devilishly resolved in the ways of their own destruction. In their occasions they are like the wild asses upon the wild mountains. Nothing can break them of their purposes or hinder them from ruining of their own precious and immortal souls, but the breaking of their hearts. Why is a broken heart put in the room of all sacrifices, which we can offer to God and a contrite spirit? Put in the room of all offerings, as they are, and you may see it so, if you compare the text with that verse which goes before it. I say, why is it counted better than all were they all put together if any one part or if all external parts of worship were they put together could be able to render the man a sound and a rightly made new creature without it. A broken heart, a contrite spirit God will not despise. But both thou and all thy servants he will certainly slight and reject, if when thou comest to him a broken heart be wanting. Wherefore, here is the point. Come broken, come contrite, come sensible of and sorry for thy sins, or thy coming will be counted no coming to God aright. And if so, consequently thou wilt get no benefit thereby. John Bunyan This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. 
SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.